Growing up, um, my childhood pastor, one of the things that he always did is he always, um, I say always, but frequently, he would say, God is good. And then as a congregation, we would say all the time, and then he would say, God is good. Let's do that together. God is good. God is good. Do you, be- do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God is good? That's our message point. God is good all the time. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 26 together this morning. And we're going to see that our God is good. We begin reading in verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are are possible. Our first point this morning is this, Jesus' tender love, his tender love for the children. We just read about his love for those children that came to him, and parents brought their children to him so that he could bless them and pray for them. And the word used here for children in the Greek, it, it isn't older children, but it's telling us that these parents are bringing their babies and their young toddlers to Jesus so that he could lay his hands on them and bless them and anoint them. You know, throughout the book of Matthew and throughout the Gospels, we read time and time again where Jesus reached out his hands and he touched those that were sick, those that were, were, were deaf, those that were mute, those that were demon-possessed. He touched them and he healed them. We also see how he laid his hands on Jairus' daughter and brought her back to life. Jesus touched the eyes of the blind man and scales fall off, fell off of his eyes and his sight was restored. He reached out and he touched the leper and the leper was healed instantly. You know, I love that story because a leopard was considered to be an outcast. They were considered to be unclean. No one got in proximity of them because they were afraid that they would catch leprosy themselves. But when this leper came to Jesus, what did Jesus do? He reached out his hand and he touched him and he healed them. This morning we see Jesus' tender love for the little children. In Matthew 19, verse 13, we read these words. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. 
You know, all of us in this room know the song, Jesus Loves Me, don't we? Let's sing that together. You ready? I'm turning this off. Is there anyone in this room that would disagree with that? That would disagree that God loves us and that God loves his children? You know, as we began this morning, um, I shared... um, with you that uh, about the Owen family, even this morning as I, as I think about the Owen family and I think about Jesus' love for those orphaned children, right now, two of those children are still in the hospital. Four of those children um, walked out of the hospital the night of that tragic accident, fully aware of everything that had happened. Their 23-year-old brother now is left without a mom and dad and left with the responsibility of helping to raise those precious children. And as I think about Jesus' love for those children, I think about the love of Jesus extended through his church, through First Baptist Church of Plano and the greater church. I think about the love of Jesus that has been extended to those children through Jay and Holly Jarrett. That is what love looks like. That is what it means to love children, that you help them in times of need, that you, that, that you reach out to them during their most um, uh, impressionable times in their lives. These children are left orphaned this morning, but they're not left without the love of Jesus or love of his church. Jesus loves those children. They may be without a mom and a dad as a result of that accident, but they are certainly not without the presence of the Lord and the presence of his church. Yes, children can be messy. Children can be loud. They can, and they do break things. They get attitudes. But you know what? Jesus still loves them, and we too are called to love them. May all of us commit to bring our children up to follow Jesus. You know, all of us have been given a responsibility to raise our children, to watch after their physical well-being. But guess what? We're also responsible for their spiritual well-being as well. Moms, dad, grandparents, any of us in this room that have, have, have children that we look after and watch over, we have a responsibility to point them to Jesus, to teach them about Jesus, to model Jesus. That is not something that we just do up until the point where, or when they're babies or up until the point when they are baptized, but we have a responsibility for their spiritual well-being up until the point where they are launched out of our homes and they begin their own families. Even then, though, we still must love them and pray for them and seek to encourage them and help them and guide them according to God's Word so that they can follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 6, 4, Paul wrote these words. He said, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let us do that every single day. Let's raise our children to follow after the heart of God. And let's not be like the disciples who out of their ignorance, time and time again, they would stick their foot in their mouth or they would, they would try to act on Jesus' behalf. What did the disciples try to do? They tried to prevent those parents from bringing their children to Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Jesus rebuked them. And I promise you right now that if you and I ever try to get in the way of the Lord's work, he'll rebuke us as well. So let us partner with the Lord and seek to raise our children to follow after the Lord and not get in the way of what the Lord is trying to do. Now, following um, this picture 
of Jesus' love for children. We see a man who comes to Jesus seeking to know how he can gain eternal life. Notice man's pursuit. This story is also shared in, in Mark and Luke, and we see that this man is rich, he is young, and Luke tells us he's also a ruler. This man was probably as good as gold. You know, he probably was just a good old boy that would give you the shirt off of his back. That is the kind of man that I picture this rich young ruler to be. If I had to guess, he was probably generous with his abundance of riches. He may have even helped socially within his community. He may have clothed the naked. He may have fed the homeless. He may have contributed to the building of synagogues or, or, or given above and beyond what the law required of him to give when it came to his tithes and his offering. But he had a fundamental problem. He lacked internal peace. He lacked the assurance of knowing where he would spend eternity. He lacked genuine fulfillment. And we read in verse 16, and behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Mark tells us that this man did not just come up to Jesus, but he ran up to Jesus and he fell down before Jesus and he asked him those questions. This man humbled himself before Jesus and he asked a genuine question. He wants to know what he can do to gain eternal life. Here is a problem with this question. Notice the personal pronoun. He says, he says, what must I do to gain eternal life? This man recognizes that there is something missing in his life. And this is not the only one that has gone through life having gained great wealth and position and realizing that money cannot provide happiness. Money cannot provide the fulfillment that the heart longs for. And this man finds himself in that place. And so he comes to the, to the person that has all of the answers. He comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and he seeks answer to his greatest question. When I think about this story, I'm reminded of Richard Galloway. And Richard Galloway in 1990 started a ministry um, in New York called New York Relief. And what this ministry does is they go throughout um, the, the boroughs of New York City and they feed the homeless. They feed thousands upon thousands of people every single year. And they don't only feed people, but they also share the good news of salvation with them. But Richard Galloway, whenever he was younger, he owned a chain of gas stations and convenience stores in Oklahoma. And at, at one point, he, he was a multimillionaire. He owned these stores. He was part owner of a bank. He owned his own real estate company. He owned a ranch outside of town. He owned houses in all over, all, all, um, several different states. He had 18 cars and he boasts that he had three planes even in, 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 in at the height of his success. That could not find him happiness. He could not find fulfillment in those things. And so he turned to drugs and alcohol. And he could not find fulfillment in drugs or alcohol either. And so one day he was in his bedroom and his wife, who was on the brink of divorcing him, comes in and says, you've tried everything and you can't find happiness in anything. Why don't you try God? This man had everything that money could buy. 
but yet he was still left with an empty, God-shaped void in his life. You know what this man did? He turned to God, and God radically transformed his life. This man in our story had everything that money could buy, but he was still missing something. And he was wanting to know how he could gain eternal life. In verse 16 and 17, the latter part of 16, we read these words, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good, and if you would enter life, keep the commandments. There's two things that we see in this passage of Scripture. The first thing is this. Jesus wants this man to know who he, whom he is addressing. He is not just addressing another teacher. He's not just addressing another rabbi. He, he, he is addressing the good teacher, but he is addressing God in the flesh. And he wants this man to understand that he has come to the right place with his question and to the right person. He wants to establish that right off the bat. When you go to God with your pains and your hurts and you lay them down at his feet, understand that he has answers to all of your questions. And he has a solution for all of your problems. So that's the first thing that Jesus wants to make this man fully aware of, that he has come to the right person at the right time. The next thing that that Jesus wants this man to understand is this, that he, he, he wants this man to know that if he would just keep the commandments, he will gain eternal life. Pretty simple, right? Keep the commandments, gain eternal life. It may seem simple, but the commandments are God's standard for righteous living. And they express God's divine will for personal holiness. Let me read that again. The commandments are God's standard for righteous living. And they express God's divine will for personal holiness. If we obey them completely, we shall gain eternal life on our own efforts. We will gain eternal life if we can just keep the commandments. Here is the problem. No one has ever kept the commandments in their entirety except for Jesus Christ. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. God's standard for righteous living is high. It is unachievable. That's why Jesus Christ came. Recognizing that the law was unachievable for man, God sent his son, Jesus, to this earth to die on the cross for every single one of our sins. He came to provide a way for us to gain access to God the Father. This man still seeking answers asks the Lord, okay, what commandments? What commandments do I need to keep to gain eternal life? And Jesus said, you shall not murder You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that as this man heard those commandments read, I think he really thought that he was a good man. And I think he thought to himself, I have not murdered. Check. I have not committed adultery. Check. I love my neighbor. Check. I have not bore false witness. Check. I think he went through that list. Check, check, check. I've done all of those things on my own. I've done those. Yet even though in his own perceived strength, he said he kept all of those commandments, he still recognized that something was lacking from his life. He replied and said in verse 20, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? 
Do you know what this man lacked? He lacked the very thing that so many outside of the doors of this church lacked, the ability to come to terms with his own sinfulness. This man was a sinner in need of Jesus. He was a sinner in need of grace. You may be here this morning and you too have not come to terms with your own sinfulness. You have been going through life trying to be good and do good, but in the midst of your own goodness, you're recognizing that there is still something missing from your life. There is still a God-shaped void in your life. Notice next. Our next point is this, Jesus's instructions. The instructions that he gives this man and his disciples and all of us in this room this morning. In verse 21, we read, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess And give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Some may ask why this message is called the goodness of God. Because what kind of a God would require someone to sell everything before they could become a follower of His? Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, or it'll be up here on the screen as well. But I want to show you what kind of God would require someone to sell everything. Notice in verse Mark 10, 21, we read these words. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. You know what kind of a God would require someone to sell everything that they have? A loving God. A God that recognizes that a man's priorities or a woman's priorities or a student's priority or a child's priorities are not in the right place. Jesus loved this man so much that he was willing to tell him what must be done in order for him to inherit eternal life. That is tough love, but it is God's love. God loved him so much that he sent Jesus to die for him in order for him to gain eternal life. Jesus did not come to rob that man of his life, to rob him of personal fulfillment or personal satisfaction. He didn't do that at all. He came to give that man life and to provide that man with life. In fact, the Greek word for life that is used in our passage this morning is this word called zoa, and it means abundant life or fulfilled life. John 10.10, we read, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, that you might have zoa and might have it abundantly. Life to the full. That's why Jesus came, to give us life, full life, and abundant life. In John 17, 3, we read, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You want to experience the goodness of life and the assurance of eternal life? Then come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he'll give you that kind of a life, a fulfilled life. And, and, and before we can gain eternal life, we must first receive everlasting life here on earth. And it begins with, with this, the moment we are saved, the moment Jesus comes into our life and transforms us into the men, women, and students that he created us to be. Being a follower of Jesus, as we see in this passage of Scripture this morning, requires radical devotion. In verse 20, 22, we read, When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. For this man, he had one known hang-up in his life, and that was that he loved 
money. In the end, he had a God in his life that he saw as being more valuable than God himself. Money was his God, and the man stood before Jesus, a condemned man, because he was guilty of idolatry. He had broken the first commandment. He may have thought that he had lived up to the standards of the law when it came to those other commandments that he checked off. But he was guilty of the first commandment. Thou shall have no other gods before me. All of us at one time were guilty of the first commandment as well. We placed other gods before the one true God. And because of that, we were guilty. We were found guilty. What we deserved was eternal death. But because of God's goodness... When we placed our faith and trust in him, we were given eternal life. In Matthew 6, 24, we read these words. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus knew what this man needed. If he would let go of the other God in his life and turn to the one true God, he would find life and he would find the life that he was created for. Let me be clear, though, right here, okay? This is not a, a message on money. If you've got money, there's nothing wrong with that. The only problem with money is when money has you. If money has you, then that is a problem. Money had this man, and in the end, he could not let go of it. And so he turned away and walked away from the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus was calling that man to come and follow him to become his disciple. But he was unwilling to let go of the thing that held hold of him the most, and that was money. For some of you in this room, you're, 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 the thing that's holding on to you, it may not be money. It may be, you may have made sports your God or food your God, or a spouse your God, or a child your God, or work your God, a hobby your God. Maybe it's a boyfriend, a girlfriend that has become your God. If there is a God in your life that you are unwilling to let go of, then you too are guilty of idolatry. All of us at one time or another were guilty of that. I pray that that is not the case this morning. Notice also that, that the Lord requires, has radical expectations for us. In verses 23 and 24 we read, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus turned to his disciples and shared with them some unforgettable truths. And subsequently, he shared those with us. He said that it is absolutely impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Okay, and, and the kind of needle that the Lord is talking about here is he's talking about a literal needle, a silver needle that has a little hole in the top of it. He's not talking about a doorway or a pathway that, that, that even I've been told by some of our uh, tour guides over in Israel. He's talking about a literal eye of a needle. It is impossible, he says, for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, but understand this. Okay, what, what he is teaching us is that it is, not impossible, it is impossible to get to heaven on our own. 
It is impossible for us to get into heaven on our own merits. We can't buy our way into heaven. We can't work our way into heaven. We can't earn our way into heaven. Heaven um, is not just for rich people or poor people or the most moral people. Heaven is for those that have been redeemed, those that have been forgiven of their sins, and those that have placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is making it clear to his disciples and to us that entering into eternal life on our own is a human impossibility. In verse 25 and 26 we read, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. The disciples believed Okay? as many believed in both the Old Testament and during the New Testament days, that wealth was God's reward for a person's righteousness. And so when Jesus tells this rich young ruler that he could not gain access into heaven based only on his goodness and his richness, the disciples are left perplexed. They're trying to figure out then if a rich young ruler can't get into heaven, then who can gain access into heaven? And Jesus makes it clear that it is a human impossibility for us to enter into eternal life on our own, but it is a divine reality when we place our faith and trust in him. In verse 26 again we read, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Jesus makes the impossible possible. On our own, none of us can gain eternal life. On their own, those outside the doors of this church, They cannot gain eternal life. There is not enough good we can do. There is not enough great that we can do. We can't give enough, serve enough, pray enough, or sacrifice enough. Nothing we can do on our own to gain eternal life. But we have a God that loves us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins to provide a way for us to gain direct access to God the Father. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. This man, this rich young ruler, you know, when I think about this man and the things that he did, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised and blown away. Because how many rich young rulers do you know that humbles themselves to the point that they're trying to figure out eternal things? Most Rich young rulers are what, man? They're out sowing their wild oats and they're spending all that they can and they're just having a good old time. You don't think about eternal things until you get older. But this rich young ruler, he thought about the eternal things when he was younger. And he went to the right place. He came to Jesus and he sought answers to how he could gain eternal life on his own. But Jesus made it clear that he had one hang up and that was his money. You know, some of you may be here in this room this morning. Your hang-up isn't money, but you have another hang-up, something that's keeping you from placing your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and humbling yourself and coming before, before Jesus. I don't know what that is, but, but you know what that is. And if you're here this morning and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I invite you to come to Jesus. This man went to Jesus. Jesus was the only way, the only truth that he could enter into eternal life. But yet he chose to walk away a sinful man. He may have come to faith later on in life. We don't know that. But the only thing that we can gain from God's word is that he walked away a sinner. 
every one of us in this room this morning find ourselves at a point where we too must make a decision as to what we're going to do with Jesus. We are either going to believe in him and place our faith in him, or we are going to deny him and reject him and walk away a sinful person. My prayer for all of us in this room is that we come before Jesus humbly and we commit our faith and trust in him and give our all over to him and begin living for him. Leave our idols behind and follow after the only way and the only truth, the only one that can give us Zoa, give us life, and give us abundant, filled life. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you have never done that this morning, I invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Give your life over to Jesus Christ this morning. Stop just pursuing the good things. Start pursuing God. God the Father in all that you do. And that's my prayer for me too, that I'll pursue God in all that I do. Not just some things, but in all things. If you're here this morning you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you this morning to place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, we come before you now this morning just recognizing, Lord Jesus, that that we need you. We don't need just some of you or part of you. We need all of you. And Father, that is what you demand of us. You are a loving, righteous, holy God but you're also a jealous God. You're jealous for our worship, and you want all of our worship, not part of it or some of it, but all of it. And so, Father, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, even on my own life, if there are things in my life that that I place before you, help me recognize that so that I can get rid of those things and cast those things away and, and be fixated completely and totally on you. Father, if that's the case for anyone in this room, may they do that very thing as well. Father, you want all of us. You want all of our love. And so, Father, may we come before you this morning and give all of ourselves over to you. Father, there may be some in this room that have yet to place their faith and trust in you. They have yet to experience that you are good all the time. You're good during the good times. You're good during the difficult times. You're good during the times of tragedy. You are good because you are God. And Father, as believers, we know that we are just passing through here on earth. Ultimately, we will spend all of eternity with you. And Father, that's a demonstration of your goodness. As I think about Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love to us in this. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That just proves that you are a good God. And I pray that if there's someone here that has yet to experience your goodness this morning, they will place their faith and trust in you. Father, just move now during this time of invitation. Father, speak to our hearts. Reveal to us if there's any sin that we need to lay down at your feet. Reveal to us if there's any actions that we need to do. 
Father, just move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to just invite you where you're at. Just to bow your head and to close your eyes. And let's just spend some time praying together. Just spend some time in prayer. And, 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 and ask the Lord just to reveal to you what you need to do as a result of this message this morning. If you don't know Jesus, I'm going to be here at the front. And I'm going to invite you to come. If you need to come and the Lord's leading you to join this church, you come as well. Just during this time of invitation, let's just bow our heads and let's just spend some time just seeking the Father. You come.